The story of your life does not start with your sin. It doesn't start with your darkness. It doesn't start with your childhood. It doesn't start with your first breath. The story of your life doesn't even start with your conception. Long before you were born, before the lives of your parents' parents, the people of old, the early church, the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, before the fall of Adam and Eve, before one let there be was uttered, you existed in God. God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I intimately knew you. Huh? Right? He tells Jeremiah, before you were conceived, me and you intimately were in an intimate knowledge relationship. Okay. In Psalm 139, David says, all the stages, the days of my life were spread out before you, the days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one. And then just before that, David states that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. A lot of us know that verse. Paul in Ephesians 1.4 says that he, God, chose us for himself, in the Greek, in himself, before the foundation of the world in love. So God chose you in him and for him before one thing was created, in love. It's really cool, right? Y'all with me? Nobody. Okay. When, when Adam, which is man, when man, Adam, was created, God, who exists in Father, Son, and Spirit, we call that the Trinity, God, didn't just give us an image and likeness for us to upkeep. He made us within and with his very own image and likeness to reflect it like a mirror. Let us make man in our image, he says. Not let's give man a image. Let's give man our image. So you were created not just with an image. You were created to reflect the image who is God. Amen. Just as my wife and I created our daughter out of our own relationship, who now bears our image and likeness, so we were created out of God's relationship and thus bear God's image and likeness. This is who we are. This is who every living being is. We were not created out of obligation or good intentions. We were created out of one thing, desire. Let me, let me, let me just break this down. I, I'm, I'm going to try my best to not divulge from my notes, diverge. Um, but me and my wife, uh, her name's Jordan. Me and my wife, when we got married in 2015, had a great relationship. We were fully satisfied in our relationship. Okay? Y'all good? So me and her had no need for any other thing. We were completely satisfied. However, in that complete satisfaction, we made the decision to spin out of that complete satisfaction another, and that became my daughter. So Jordan and I, my wife, existed 
in a relationship, but we made room in that relationship for another who was like us. Okay? So it's not now. It's not me and my wife and then my daughter way over here as an afterthought. It's now me, my wife, and my daughter all in one spin. Okay? Okay. So when, when God, Father, Son, Spirit, said, let us make man, humanity, in our image, it wasn't Father, Son, and Spirit saying, let's make man over there in an image. It was Father, Son, and Spirit saying, let's make room within our relationship for another that bears our same image and likeness. Unbelievable, right? So when you see it as it really is, the only explanation for your existence is the desire of God. There's no obligation because God was completely fulfilled as God was, right? So you existing out of anything other than desire means absolutely nothing because God was already fulfilled in their own relationship. I'm not trying to go too deep. So you, you, you existing has one explanation, and it's that God, though fully satisfied, made the decision out of God's satisfaction to bring you in on their relationship. When the early church fathers around, you know, the early first century, when the, in the second century, when the early church fathers were deciding how to describe the relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, they came up with the Greek word perichoresis. Okay? Peri, the first part of that word, means circle or around. It's where we get the word periscope or perimeter. And then choresis is the root word that we get the word choreography from. Okay? So according to the early church fathers, the relationship of father, son, and spirit was defined as a circle dance, never ending. You and I were spun out of and designed to be included in that very dance. When God created the cosmos, including us, he didn't place us in some distant, separate space of himself. This is what Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says. It says, in him, everybody say in, in. In him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and in the earth, all that is seen Unseen, every seat of authority, every realm of government, principality, and authority, all of it exists through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him, including you and I. John 1, 3 says that through him, all things were made, and nothing exists apart from him. Who is him? The word, Jesus. There is no space that exists that isn't full of God. Because everything that exists, exists through him. Am I losing anybody yet? I'm going to bring it all around in the end. So y'all just hang with me. 
Therefore, to create us, he didn't place us where he was not, for he is in all. He is present in all space. Okay? So he didn't place us where he was not. Rather, all is present in him. Therefore, he made space within himself, and we were made and exist in and for him. Okay. I'm just laying the groundwork for, the, for Luke 15. <clears throat> so Jordan and I, my wife, we were fully satisfied, and we created something out of that satisfaction. You are God's son or daughter, not by your actions, but by your inherited identity. You are God's son or daughter, not because of what you've done, but because of your inherited identity, the identity that you've received from the one who made you. Listen to this. So my daughter, who gets to determine whose daughter my daughter is? Me. Because I made her. Right? Amen? So who gets to tell you who you are? The one who made you. This is really huge. You're God's sons and daughters. No matter what you do, you cannot change who you authentically really are. But what about sin? Here's what we're going to talk about. Jesus says in Matthew 17 that you can know a tree by its fruit. All actions flow from an identity. Everything that you do flows from an identity or a lack thereof of identity. Okay? Therefore, therefore, there's only one image in creation, God's. So sin does not flow from you bearing another image. Rather, it flows from you not living in your rightful image. The actions of sin does not flow from you suddenly bearing something else's image. There's only one image, and it's his. So it's not what image are you bearing. It's whether or not you're bearing the right image. See what I'm saying? So when you're living out of place with who you really are, suddenly you're not bearing another person's image. You're bearing no image. And so what Yahweh is doing when we live in that space is he is constantly and continually calling us back to who we really are. Who are we at our authentic, most pure place in our lives? Sons and daughters. Why? Because one made us that exists in three and it's God. The devil did not make you. God did. The devil can't tell you who you are. Because he didn't make you. Do you know what the word authority comes from? Author. So the only way that you have authority over something is if you are the one that originated it. So if it came from you, you have the authority over it. So the devil has authority over nothing. <laughs> right? Only God does. So what the enemy will try to do is pull you into a place where you believe you are who you actually are not. And in this place, you'll start to live out the actions that everybody in the church calls sin. And it is. But you'll start to live out these actions from a place of broken identity. Not because you're making the conscious decision, well, man, I really want to go out and sin today. 
No, it's because there's something on the inside of you and in the deepest parts of your identity that has lost its way. And in that place, you're making decisions that that identity really believes is right. You know what I'm saying? And the testimony that she shared earlier is a perfect example of that, of Yahweh just continuously bringing her to a place, whether it be through friends, whether it be through whatever means, calling her back to who she really is. And now that she's found her way home, suddenly life is a whole new picture. Am I right? It's an amazing story. So this is what we're talking about tonight. <clears throat> the word sin, the word sin in Greek is the word hamartia. Ha, meaning without or missing, and meros, which means portion or form. So the word sin is you or I being without our right form or identity. That's what the word sin means. When John says, oh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the word that John used, John the Baptist, is hemartea. He's saying, behold, here comes the Lamb, not to give us unlimited I'm sorry's for messing up. That's not the sins he's talking about. John says, sin, hemartea. Here comes the Lamb of God to take away the broken identity of the world. Whoo, how, how does that change stuff? You know what I'm saying? Colossians 1.21, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay? You weren't God's enemies or separated because of your evil behavior in reality. Paul says you were enemies and separated in your heads. Paul is saying when you live out of a place where you forget who you really are, you'll start convincing yourself you're just nasty and dirty and God probably wants little to do with you because of your behavior. But all of that is a delusion. Birth from you being out of alignment with who you really are. In Romans 5, Paul gives the greatest speech on what <clears throat> was transformed through the Messiah by grace. And then he starts Romans 6 with a famous verse. He says, should we just keep sinning until our hearts are content so that grace may abound? Paul preaches such a scandalous gospel so full of grace in Romans 5. Go read Romans 5. Unbelievable. So he starts Romans 6 and says, well, now that I've preached all that, and talked about all this identity stuff. Should we just all go out and sin so that that stuff may increase? Certainly not. But his response as to why they shouldn't go out and sin to their heart's content was not because they would lose it if they did that. He didn't say, should we, should we just keep sinning? Certainly not, because if you do, you'll lose your salvation. No. He said, should we keep sinning till our heart's content? Absolutely not, because that person is dead. Paul says, how can an identity that's been put to death make actions in your life anymore? It can't. Okay? So, darkness has no, and I'm about to go to Luke 15, but this is what I do. Darkness has no ontological existence. Do you, does anybody, do you know what the word ontology means? Some of y'all are about to find out. The, the word ontological means the study of existence. Okay? So, darkness, I don't know if you knew this, darkness ontologically, scientifically, does not exist. There is, darkness has no wavelength. Okay? It doesn't exist. Darkness is simply an absence of light. 
Darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is a measurement of what does exist, light. There's a major difference, and this is where we're going to go in Luke 15. There's a major difference in us actually being in the dark and being in the light while believing we're in the dark. We, in our fallen state, were still in the light, but we were fully convinced in our deepest imaginations that we were in the dark now. Gee, let, me, let me just, I don't have time for this. I'm going to have to skip down in my notes. If I had about an hour and a half, we could go way deeper, but I'm going I'm to skip this part. But the difference, let's summarize, the difference between St. Athanasius in the early church and somebody like Jonathan Edwards later on is astounding with how they viewed grace and how they viewed the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh. Unreal. And somewhere along the way, we lost the fact that Jesus did something on the depth of who we are, not just on the surface of what we do. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus did not come with a rule book and say, if you do all these rules, guess what? You'll be in. Jesus came and became sin. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul says, he who knew no sin became hamartia sin. The word became complete and utter formlessness. Complete and utter delusional loss of identity. He became sin. Why? So that when he said it is finished, you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does righteousness mean? Being made right. I mean, so this is the gospel. Us being the desire of God created in him and for him the offspring of Trinitarian dance love. We had forgotten who we were and the one whose image we bear. What was God to do in response to this? Was he to leave us in our delusional fallen worlds of our own making? He couldn't do that. For what good, according to Athanasius, was the creation if he lets us just trample on into non-existence? What was God to do when we had fallen? Just leave us to it? Well, if he left us to it, we would certainly, I mean, keep going until we didn't even exist anymore. Because all things, things exist through and for him. We lost our identity. So was he to sit back and say, well, I'm going to just let them keep going. Well, why would he do that? Because he knew what was going to happen. It would have been better for him to never even create us in the first place. Right? So that option was off the table, which left one other option. God, being all-knowing, saw ahead of time what was happening. And this is what God, the Trinity, decides to do. And I'm going to go to Luke 15, then I'm done. God decides to become our fall so that he could get his kids back. Do you know Peter and John in Revelation both say that the lamb, Jesus, was crucified from the foundation of the earth? That means when God said, let there be light, in God's mind, there was already the plan for Jesus to be on the cross. Before you and I existed, God had a plan for us that if we got this thing wrong, he was still going to bring us back in. That's love. That's love. That's what God was to do. In love and desire for you and I, he became what we were 
in our running so that by way of dying to it, that which kept us from seeing who we really are could be forever obliterated in reconciliation and atonement, which means being brought back as one. John the baptizer says, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Luke 15, I'm going to ask you this question, and then we're going to read this. What is the sin problem? After saying all that, if I say, what is the sin problem? Because that's what I'm preaching on tonight, the sin problem. What is the sin problem? Is it you going out to party or you going out to do whatever? Or is it you not knowing who you are that manifests itself and you going out and partying and doing whatever? Let me say it like this. It really doesn't matter if you say no, 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 no to all the wrong things if the broken identity that longs to do all the wrong things is still present within you. He didn't come to get you to say no to everything. He came to change who you are so that it would change your yes. He didn't come just so that you could say no to stuff. He came so that you could say yes to the one thing that you were designed to say yes to. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to read Luke 15, but I'm going to actually read this. Some of y'all are about to, if y'all haven't already, I'm going to be a heretic by saying what I'm about to say. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. And the only reason I'm doing this is to save time explaining the depth of what some of this stuff is saying. So um, if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. Um, but if not, then uh, it's on the Bible app, that translation. If you want, I should have said that earlier. Matt, you go ahead and come up here. Because it's 810, and I'm so not used to staying at 30 minutes, but that's okay. All right. <clears throat> Y'all good? Y'all still with me? Y'all awake? Amen. Okay. Okay. Here's what it says. Luke 15, verse 1. Now, I want you to hear this, okay? It says this. Many dishonest tax collectors and notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns. Uh-oh with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come in. I mean, we have a habit of doing that in the church, right? Jesus is bringing in all these people that the religious system has rejected, and they're angry. What is he doing? Verse 3, in response to that, Jesus gives them these parables. There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd was left with 99 lambs, or he left, excuse me, the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched the wilderness for the one lost lamb. I want you to hear this. He did not stop until he found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. And he said, and I'm going to skim through this next part. He says, come and celebrate that which was lost I found and brought home. Verse 7, Jesus continued, in the same way, there will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents and comes back home and returns to the fold. Verse 8, he gave another parable. There was once a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins. When she lost one of them, she swept. I want you to hear the desire in the woman, okay? This would have made them mad anyway because he was calling God a woman in this parable. parable. So this would have just made them furious by the fact that he said woman. 
So Jesus is really getting down in the dirt with this. There was once a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins. When she lost one, she swept the entire house, searching every corner in the house for the one lost coin. When she finally found it, she gathered everybody and had a celebration. Come and celebrate me. I had a lost coin, but now I have found it. That's the same way God repents over every single lost soul. Now, verse 11. Verse 11. Then Jesus said, and I'm going to read down to 21. Jesus said, there was a father with two sons. Father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all that he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry and there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer to give him a job. He was so famished he was willing to eat slops. That was slop that was given to a pig. Verse 17, humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. This is a huge point in this story. The son wakes up and realizes, this is not who I am, but this is how he responds, okay? Here's how he responds. And he thought, there are many workers or slaves in my father's house who have all the food that they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hungry, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? Dying of hunger, excuse me. Verse 18, I want to go back home to my father's house, and here's what I'm going to say to him. I was wrong. I've sinned. I'll definitely never be worthy to be called your son, but please just make me a slave. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father, the father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the father, excuse me, then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you are home now. Let me just read this last part. Turning to his servants, the father said, Bring me my best robe, my very own robe. I will place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship. I'll put it on his finger. Bring the best shoes you can find. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead. Now he's alive again. Once he was lost, now he was found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Unreal, okay? The ownership, I'm going to end with this. The ownership of the sheep, the coin, and the son never changed in the whole parable. The sheep, the coin, and the son started at home. They didn't start lost. They started at home. The ownership of all of them was never in question. They simply got misplaced. The owner sought until they were found, and once the owner found them, they were restored immediately back to their rightful place. The redeemed heir, I refuse to call him prodigal son because the Bible does not call him a prodigal son. 
Okay? So that might be a subtitle in your Bible, but that's never in the Bible. Okay? The father never calls him prodigal. He ain't a prodigal son. He's a redeemed son. Amen. He left home as a son. I want you to hear this. We call people who are prodigals, people who never even, we believe, never knew who they were in the first place. The only way for you to be a prodigal is if you started as a son. The only way for you to be a prodigal is if you started as a daughter. The Lord's not seeking to find something he never had. The Lord is seeking to find every single person he's always had. He left home as a son. His sonship was never in question to the father. He, however, started seeing himself as a slave because of what he had done. Remember this? I'm just about done. And I just say that to make you feel better. But, no, I'm just kidding. I really am. Um, I do that at church, though. But, the, listen, the, the son to the father was always the son, even when he ran. But when he ran, the son started seeing himself as a slave. He says, I would never be even worthy to be called a son in my father's house. So I'm going to go beg him to make me a slave. Maybe if he could tolerate me just about that much, I'll still be in the house. That's how we view God. If we're all being honest, the prayer that we prayed, most of us, this is my story. The prayer that I prayed for salvation was not me believing I was going to be restored to sonship. It was me begging God to make me a slave so that I could earn my way in the rest of my life. And let me tell you how many times I did that. None. I prayed the sinner's prayer a million thousand five hundred and fifty five times. That's not even a number. That's how many times I prayed that. Growing up, we were taught you could lose your salvation. I pray that prayer. I tell somebody, I'd be in fifth grade, have a pack of gum. I got one. I used to have one in my pocket. There it is. I had a pack of gum in my pocket. Somebody would be like, you got any gum? I'd be like, nope. And then I'd go right into the bathroom. I'd be like, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. You know what I'm saying? Right? If I got home and my mom, I'm like, mom, I'm ready for a snack. Didn't hear. I'd be like, dear Lord, just come back and get me. You know what I mean? And just like that was that was my mentality. I was a slave. And if you had asked me, well, are you saved? Absolutely. Saved for what? I was saved from a lot of stuff. That's not what salvation is. Salvation, God doesn't care what you're saved from. All he cares about is what you're saved for. I'm not saved from hell. I'm saved for him. And a byproduct of being saved for him is being saved from hell. But my Lord, it is not me running from the devil and running from hell that gets me to run to the Father. It's the eyes of the one that even though my entire life I wasted every single thing he gave me, as soon as I come around the corner, I see him running with every single thing that he's got in him to restore me to sonship without question. That's what I said yes to. That's what salvation is. Here's the sin problem. The sin problem is you believing that when you get home, you're going to have to beg to be a slave. That's the sin problem. Here's the biggest lie that the devil has told every single person in the church. Here's the biggest lie. Is that you're going to have to crawl your way in and you're going to make it by the skin of your teeth so you better behave. And we've called it salvation and we've called it church. But here's what Jesus says. He says, son, you're home now. I'm going to give you my robe. 
I'm going to place it on your shoulders. I'm going to give you the seal of sonship, which, by the way, in this age, the seal of sonship means the son was able to make transactions on behalf of the father's name. So he's saying, I'm going to give you my authority. That's what he's saying. I'm going to put the best shoes on you. Slaves didn't wear shoes, only heirs. And I'm going to prepare a feast, my son's home. This is not a story. I'm done. This is not a story of the son's faithfulness to return. You ready? I need you for this. I need you for this. This is not a story of the son's faithfulness to return. This is a story of the father's faithfulness to redeem. The father just wanted his son back. He was actually willing to waste the inheritance that he gave his son to get his son to see that proximity to the father, not stuff, was what the source of life really was. The father was willing to waste everything. I hope you can hear Jesus in this. He was willing to waste it all for you to see that the one thing you desire is the one thing that you were made for, and that's proximity to the king. I want y'all to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads with me. I told y'all this was not like a sin message you've ever heard in your life because I, I personally feel zero calling to try to convince you to stay away from parties. I believe if you know who you really are, you won't have a desire to go do something that's not like who you really are. I mean, I, I choose to believe that you could do some damage by being convinced to say no to sin. But you could live your life to the full if you get the identity of sin redeemed within you. And I know, I know, um, I know that I'm not, um, I'm not preaching on salvation tonight. Okay, but I can't preach about sin unless I preach about salvation because sin's been paid for. Okay, it is Him, Jesus, awakening our dormant selves to who we really are. That is salvation. That we're the ones chosen in Him before anything else. And I want to speak this over you as your eyes are closed. You are. God's beloved. I want you to hear this. Never in your life settle for anything less than being God's beloved. Learn to say yes to Him, and you'll never have to say no to inferior things ever again. I want to ask you this while your eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I, I want to, maybe, maybe you're in the room, and I say maybe knowing the answer to this, but may, maybe you're in the room and your entire Christian experience, if you're saved, this is why I'm talking to people who, who, who know a little bit about this stuff right now first. Maybe your entire Christian experience has been about you falling and getting back up and falling and getting back up. And let me, let me just encourage you for a minute. Um, and I, I know that this is really going to mess with some stuff, and I'm sorry about this. 
there was a time in your life that in your mind you were a sinner. But you are not a sinner anymore if you're in him. You are an heir. You are one with Jesus Christ. In John 17, in John 17, we're told that God loves us with the same exact love that he loves his son with. That's Jesus. When Jesus dies on the cross, he does not say the Greek word tetelestai. That's a translation of what he said. He said the Hebrew word kala. And the word kala in Hebrew means two things. It's called a homonym. It means it says one thing and means two different things at the same time that go together. It's what the word homonym means. He says kala. Do you know what the word kala means? It means it is finished. My bride. At the cross, Jesus did not just announce what he did. At the cross, he announced the identity of the ones that he did it for. Bride. That's who we are. That's how much you mean to him. So let me ask you this. If you have been in for a long time and you really, if you would just be completely real, you really have never thought about who you really are. That your whole life you've been striving and striving and striving and striving and striving to be a good behaved Christian. But at the core of who you are, if you're being honest, you never really knew who you were. You never really believed that you were actually a son or daughter of God. Is that anybody in the room? Because that was me my whole life. Anybody in the room that would say, I've never really been fully convinced of this. You could just, I mean, if that's you, raise your hand. Anybody in the room? Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah. Okay, now let me ask you this. Hey, is there anybody in the room that you've never, ever, ever started a relationship with Jesus? You came to this because you want to meet some guys or girls. You came to this to hang out. Somehow somebody convinced you if you come here, you're going to have free food for the weekend. Whatever the case may be. Because it's going to be a blast. But you've never, if you're being real, nobody's looking around, had a true relationship with Jesus. Would you just throw your hand up? Anybody in the room? Nobody's looking. Sick. Okay. So everybody's in. Okay. So far. So here's what I want to pray. Y'all can look at me. Here's what I pray, and then we're going to sing one more song. I'm going to pray over you, and as we sing, this song is called Communion. Take me back to the garden. Take me back to the moment I heard your voice, when it was easy to love, easy to trust. As we're singing this song, I want us to worship a little different. And we, we did this earlier, but as we're singing, what does it look like for us to sing to him, but then receive from him as well? Because if we are worth that much to him, that he would send his son, that the entire fullness of the Godhead would dwell bodily in the Messiah, Paul says, to die on a cross for you and I, he's got something to say. And I believe the frequency leaving his mouth of what he wants to say to you and I is life-changing. It's the frequency that everything in our guts starts to shake at hearing. So y'all stand. I'm going to pray. And then Julia is going to lead us in the in this song and we'll we'll be we'll be out spread out if you need to sometimes you just need your space. yeah 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 if y'all need to spread out your get your own space some of y'all aren't used to that thing and that's good it's good to get out of your comfort zone a little bit but this isn't some formal like service thing we're not we're not here doing like you know the 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 cool club like you know concert that's not what we're doing we're here worshiping Yahweh we're in a dance y'all get some space if you need to so let me pray and then we're gonna go Father 
I pray just right now that you would begin to seal these words. I know this was a lot crammed into 30 minutes, but I believe that you are dropping seeds after seeds after seeds in every person in this room to start to rethink, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I mean more to him than I ever thought I believed, than I ever thought I knew. Lord, I pray that you would make that real. I pray that you would make the identity of who we really are true and authentically who we really are in us, solid and solidified in this moment and this weekend. Take us back to the garden where we enjoy communion. It's in your name we pray and sing. Amen. Y'all sing it with us.